We're going to take a deep dive into the turmoil at Chrysler and General Motors. This is AutoLine. We've just gone through one of the most momentous weeks in the history of the auto industry, with the President of the United States essentially having fired the Chairman of General Motors and then giving GM 60 days to come up with a new turnaround plan. He gave Chrysler 30 days to finish a merger with Fiat or he'll let Chrysler go out of business. Those are the highlights of what went on this week, but what are the details behind the headlines? To get to the bottom of that, I've got three guests joining me on today's show. John Stoll is with the Wall Street Journal and has been reporting on every single development. Tom Walsh is a columnist with the Detroit Free Press and has been opining on what this all means. And Michael Robinette is a vice president in charge of global vehicle forecasting for the consulting firm CSM Worldwide. If you want to get a much better understanding of where this auto industry is headed over the next 60 days, don't go away. I'll have my panel of experts here right after this. Visit our website for even more great content all week long. AutoLine Daily, John's Journal, podcasts, and even more. So click over and get your all-access pass to the automotive industry at AutoLineDetroit.tv. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to our discussion now, talking all about maybe the, one of the most momentous weeks in the history of the automotive industry. Tom, let's start with you and let's start with General Motors. They got 60 days now to come up with a new viability plan or else. You think they're going to get it done? Well, they have to. They don't have any choice. They got to come up with something or else there's no more money. If there's no more money, there's no more General Motors. Um, so they, they've got to do it or else get tossed into this bankruptcy thing, which which still could happen because it's not going to be easy, even with the big club over their head, to get everybody together. John Stoll, Wall Street Journal, do they do it without going into a formal Chapter 11 bankruptcy? Do they do it with a structured bankruptcy prepackaged, or what do you think? Yeah, I think, I think they do it with a bankruptcy. Um, I think that's become very clear that the Obama administration is pushing them in the direction. It is the preferred route um, because of the efficiency and the ability to really wrestle down unions and bondholders. We talked about this a month ago or so, that what are we gonna do? Well, we're still here talking about it. And that's uh, the, the uh, purpose of a bankruptcy court is to help sort that out. It's ugly, people don't like to talk about it, uh, especially in the Detroit area. Um, it's definitely wasn't the first option at GM, but it's becoming more likely that I think that they're gonna sort this out. That this, uh, The scenario in which we see a new GM emerge rather quickly, uh, I, think, I think there's a bit more excitement growing at, at General Motors about that. A bit more excitement about going into bankruptcy? A bit more excitement about what the results will be mm -hmm. and having the government behind it uh, and having the government say we'll support this uh, definitely bends the minds in a new direction. And Michael Robinette with CSM Worldwide, what's your take on this? Are they going to get this done in 60 days or are they going to be in Chapter 11? Well, I mean, uh, you know, some think that you'll be walking up the courtroom steps and, and at that point everybody will come and figure out what they really need to do to get this done. But um, bankruptcy will not be pretty. And I think a, a lot of people are, are looking at this thinking that it's, it's going to be a, an easy process. I don't, I don't think there's anything easy about bankruptcy. And there's going to be a, a lot of uh, constituencies that aren't going to like the results that end at the end of the day. 
Michael, you do all the vehicle forecasting worldwide for CSM. What's your forecast going forward of GM and or Chrysler going into a bankruptcy? How might that affect their sales and ultimately production? Well, it is going to depend on a lot of things. We've had a number of meetings about this, talking about is it a, is it a quick bankruptcy where you know you walk in and it's all prepackaged and, and very quickly you exit. And the quicker you can let the American public forget about the fact that they went into bankruptcy and that you've got sort of I remember back in the '80s the new Chrysler. Well, now you have the new General Motors, which you know maybe one or maybe two or three brands at the very most, a slim down dealer base, and you know move on from there. Um, if it's not that and it's something a lot more convoluted and it lasts a lot longer, that is not going to be good for vehicle sales. You just triggered, triggered a memory. Uh, after the 84, 1984 reorganization, GM started calling itself the new GM at that point, too. So we're to the new, new GM. We had the new Chrysler two years ago when Cerberus bought them. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the new, 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 new. Right. The, the, the grand new right. Chrysler. Let me come back to you a minute, John. Uh, the Wall Street Journal had a story, I believe, this week talking about how GM might get split in two, an old GM, a new yeah. GM. Go through that a very, bit. Very, very complicated. Three, it's called a 363 sale. Uh, they're, 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 they're almost sound illegal. Uh, you take everything you don't want and you put it into an entity and you sort of ship that out into the ocean and say goodbye to it. Uh, and then you have this new glorified company. It's not that simple. Um, but uh, typically these are used when you want to emerge and have a buyer on the other end of the good assets. and. And then, and then the losers in that scenario get a chunk of that new company. So the UAW would hold uh, a big stake, which you already know they're going to in the new GM, the creditors, the government. Um, it, it's, it, it's definitely different than a prepack. Uh, prepacks are all arranged when you go in. You do have some negotiation that needs to go on in on the inside. But you, you basically know your buyer. And this goes hand in hand with what Ron Bloom on the task force in Washington did a lot of in... Um, the steel industry and, and did some something like this with Dana as well. Uh, the difference is, is they were uh, they had to work a little bit differently with the union than just throwing out the contracts. It's not as easy as people think it is, but you go in, you have a vision of what the new company is going to look like already, and you get you get a private equity firm or two on board that say we're going to work with the unions and get this company out as soon as possible. And Dana, it was a success. They're not doing real well right now, but at least they got in and out of bankruptcy court. Yeah, Tom. Uh, a lot of the talk in town here, particularly at General Motors, was. It, it makes no sense to broom out top management because the, the next guys who fill in their shoes are going to have to do the exact same thing. My gut tells me, though, Fritz Henderson is not going to do the exact same thing that Rick Wagner was doing. Don't you think that we're going to see some changes? Oh, absolutely. We have to see some changes because Fritz knows very clearly who's calling the shots now, and it's not him. It's not even his board of directors. It's, uh, it's the government. And he knows pretty clearly now what they expect uh, in terms of what a balance sheet's supposed to look like at the end of 60 days. And, and he knows he's going to have to take some, some tougher, faster actions than Rick took. Now, they are cut from much the same cloth. They're GM lifers. They're Harvard MBAs. They did a lot of time overseas. Uh, but most people will tell you who have worked with the two of them, there are some differences. Um, Rick tends to you know, want more consensus, bring more people into the conversation. Uh, and whereas Fritz is more intuitive, a little bit more likely to go with his gut, and he's going to have to go with his gut and, and make some pretty quick snap decisions. You know, the, the task force uh, put out a, a paper literally taking GM viability plan apart point by point by point. I would imagine that's the checklist that Fritz Henderson's going to have to operate off now in, other, in, in order to satisfy the task force 60 days from now. Well, it is. And one of the things that the task force said was in both 
in the cases of both GM and Chrysler was that their, their revenue assumptions were kind of optimistic, if not wildly so. So one of the real questions here is at what level can GM really be profitable if they, if they get these concessions? And, and is it possible in the short time frame they've got to whittle down the company to the size that they would be profitable at whatever pro projected uh, production level they have? Michael, I'd like to hear Michael talk yeah, about that. Yeah, I, <laughs> we all want to hear what Michael has to say about this. Uh, how does GM whittle itself down, to use Tom's terminology there, to get itself to be profitable? And, and what does a GM at that size look like? It's, it's a much different than the GM that we know today. Um, one thing that we haven't talked about much is, is the dealer base, and it's kind of, uh, I've described it as the elephant in the room, because, you know, you're dealing every dealer, and, and there are groups of them, but it's, you've got independent entrepreneurs, and they own their stores, and, and they've got their places, and it's, it's going to be difficult to, to extract them, and in, in many respects, that's going to be one of, I hate to say it, but one of the benefits, if they have to go to a bankruptcy, is really cleaning up this dealer They can issue. walk away from the franchise laws, And, and what right? do you think is the advantage, I mean, of going so quickly with the dealers, because GM doesn't own them, they don't have to provide financial support to them. And well, why the, get rid of them so quickly? The dealers have always held uh, this threat over their, over their heads that if you don't give me a viable portfolio, uh, the franchise laws are such that I can go back to you and basically say you contravene your contract. And it can get really long and, and, and extended and very expensive. And this is one of the reasons why GM has not reduced all these brands. It's this endless circle. Too many dealers, too many brands, too many vehicles. But is closing it, is, down Oldsmobile was so expensive, uh, and, they didn't want to do this. And, 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 and I'm sure it left a bad taste in their mouth afterwards. They said it's probably easier if we keep giving products to these to these uh, to these brands, but there's still too many dealers, and the throughput is just not there. So if you can, if through this process, whether it's a prepackage or up to the courtroom doorsteps or even a true bankruptcy of some sort, hopefully quick that they can really reduce the dealer count. And, and frankly, we think there's possibility of really only going down to two brands. We've mapped it out. You could make a case for a Buick, and then there's some cases where you say, well, maybe you really don't need it. You can go down to almost like a Toyota uh, st uh, structure where you have Toyota and Lexus and maybe a, a very small niche brand. Um, with GM, you'd be Chevrolet, Cadillac, and you might have some other international brands sold in other parts of the world, but that that could work. That really about, could work. I, I thought the reason they're keeping GMAC or GMAC, GMC, GMC, and Buick is because they're profitable. They're 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 profitable now, but if they can increase the throughput and reduce the dealer count as well, um, I, there's there's some thought that there's economies of scale could could start to take over and you reduce the brand count. Um, brand you know brands means advertising means back office functions. I mean a lot of people don't see this. They think well it's just another name on a vehicle, but there is a lot of cost involved. Not as much as there used to be, mm -hmm. but there is cost involved. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's talk about Chrysler a little bit. And Tom, let me start with you. They only got 30 days to get a deal with Fiat. What's your take on that? Well, yeah, clock's ticking. Uh, and, you know, I still don't, I don't see it. I just don't see how it saves them, really. Uh, I mean, I, I understand the complementary aspects of it. Fiat's got small cars, Chrysler has big ones. Uh, Fiat's had some success with turnaround recently, but they don't really have much in the pipeline that's new. Uh, the, the task force report noted that you know the, the way Chrysler is structured now, uh, they got you know they got half the engineers per product that General Motors does. You know they just don't have much you know firepower or intellectual firepower behind the vehicles, and to get them up and running 
in a way that's really competitive uh, by throwing a deal together is, you know, is, is still highly improbable, I think. Sergio Marchionne, I understand, was in Detroit this week, up in Auburn Hills, talking with the Chrysler people. Do you think he's going to get a deal together? Uh, you know, I, I think it is a Hail Mary at this point, but he's got the fact that uh, the Obama administration, well, the Bush administration, and that they inherited this $4 billion investment that uh, to write it off at this point without some investigation into what Chrysler, you know, could be, uh, would, would be imprudent. So definitely he's got the ear of Washington, and I, I think he's got... Uh, some supporters in that task force who, who, who would like to see something out of the box. Um, you know, Chrysler has been through all kinds of different uh, ownership structures and, and tried this and tried that, and, and, and I think the administration has come to the uh, very clear uh, viewpoint that Chrysler does not have a viable product portfolio. And they don't have. And we're coming to back to Michael on that one, they, too. And they don't have a global presence. Those are two things that Fiat offers. They may not be great offers, but it's better than the alternative, which is a standalone Chrysler that just sort of fades into oblivion but let's, uh, let, in let's this not, kind of market. Let's not talk auto industry just right. for this one right. question. Let's talk about politics. Okay. Politics. Mm -hmm. Will President Obama let Chrysler go out of business, which would be anathema to the UAW? You'd have to ask him. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I'm asking you. That's I, why you're on the program. <laughs> I, I, I don't think so. I think there may be some other ditch that they'd have to sort of try, try maybe, maybe resurrect this idea of folding it into General Motors. Mm -hmm. It sounds ugly. It sounds sticky. And nobody likes it again. But if you provide this much financing to save a piece of Chrysler, at least politically, with the UAW, that be, may be more popular than just liquidation. Tom, you're, you're the opiner here. What's your opinion? Would uh, a Barama, a Barack Obama administration let a Chrysler go down? Because i got to believe the UAW would fight tooth and nail not to let that happen. I don't think they might have much choice. I, you know, I, think they, I think if you read those task force reports, you really come away feeling like they don't believe there's, there's more than two car companies here, um, really. And you know maybe That's maybe the they can. So I'm saying, what's the president? Maybe they can. We, and and uh, but and I think the president uh, by holding by a serving notice with with the ouster of Rick Wagner and uh, and setting these tough deadlines uh, has kind of served notice on the union. Yes, the union's been helpful. Yes, politically he's aligned with them, but he also reads opinion polls and he knows that Americans don't care much for unions in particular and this union you know specifically uh, and I don't think I think the downside for him I mean it's not fatal obviously he'd like to say he doesn't want to put more people out of work and if and and there is some viability left in the Jeep name and some other things and and they'd love to be able to work something out to, to save some jobs and and they, they will try to do that but it's like John said I think it's a Hail Mary. Mike what happens if Chrysler goes out of business what happens to its suppliers and how does that impact the entire supply chain? Oh that that actually is that is the biggest question to tell you the truth I mean you know, we could talk about Chrysler and, and and its products and how long it survives. And we frankly, will we'll get to the product. No no minute, but and, let's talk the supply but chain. But undoubtedly you, you need 
to have, if something were to happen and they were going to have to wind the organization down, you can't stop tomorrow because there's just too many suppliers. So certainly what's going to happen, the auto task force is conscious of that. And they know that they're going to have to somehow support those suppliers to make sure that the Fords and the GMs and even, frankly, the Japanese and the Koreans and the Germans uh, don't have a major issue as well because it's very important that we keep the supply base running. Right. Okay. Now let's turn to product. Okay. You're not too keen on what Fiat can provide to Chrysler, and you're definitely not keen on the product going forward that Chrysler has in the pipeline or, no. or doesn't have in the pipeline. No, I, I, I'm an old Chrysler guy. Grew up over the river. My father worked there. Grandfather worked there. So it runs through my blood. I own one of them. But I can tell you, I, I don't get the same feeling like I did when I went to the 1992 Detroit Auto Show and saw the first Intrepid and walked away thinking, this company has a tremendous future. I was like giddy after I saw the vehicle. There are no giddy vehicles out there. And unfortunately, to move from today to when the Italians come with their vehicles, we're talking at least 24 months. And that's with a, a pretty full capital budget, probably more like 30 to 36 months. That's an eternity in this business. Three years is an eternity given their current product portfolio. Is it though in the sense that the market's flat on its back? I mean, we're bumping along at 10 million units a year. Isn't now the time to be able to pull something off like that? as opposed to when it might have been at 16 million. I mean, what, what I'm getting at, does it matter as much right now if you have a hole in your product line for the next two years? Um, well, uh, who's gonna, the government's going to have to support them. I mean, there is just no way that they're going to be able to keep that company alive for the, for the next two to three years until the, the fiat-designed vehicles come. And when they come, are they going to be profitable? What kind of volumes are they built in? Are they going to have the economies of scale that Chrysler really needs to, to really take the cost out of the vehicle? These are all tremendous questions that, frankly, you, you, went, you talked about the task force. There was five points there. Each one is tremendously difficult for them to get over. They're going to have to, first of all, come to agreement with Fiat. Then they've got to restructure all their debt. Then they have to come to agreement with the UAW. Then, by the way, if we give you $6 billion, you have to find a way to make money and pay us back, by the way, and we want to make sure that you're not going to come back and see us. And there was, a, uh, there was another one in there. There was, a, there was another hurdle that basically said, uh, I, I think it was the equivalent of, please don't come back and see us because you need to be a go-forward organization. Those, in 30 days, that is, I call it the equivalent of a 70-yard field goal. That's, that's going to be pretty difficult. <laughs> Awfully difficult. Tom, let's go back to General Motors for the minute. Uh, their board of directors. Do you think we're going to see a wholesale cleaning out of the board? And, and what kind of people might they try to repopulate it with? Well, I think, I, I think we obviously, you know, we're already seeing that it's going to change. They didn't, uh, they didn't pick the lead director, uh, George Fisher. They went and picked the other guy, Kent Cresso. So that says something about, again, change of direction. Uh, the ownership structure of this corporation in the future is going to be different. I don't know how much, uh, John might have a better idea, how much the UAW is going to own and, and various other people, and it depends on the bondholder negotiations. And, and especially as we get into this, and we're in something tantamount to bankruptcy already, but if we formally go into it, I mean, it wasn't that long ago in this town here in Detroit, you know, we saw Kmart go in and Eddie Lampert came out of nowhere as the controlling force there and nobody, who's Eddie Lampert? And, and nobody in Detroit sort of saw that coming until the very end. So we don't know really what the structure is going to be, except that it's going to be very different, I think, uh, you know, unquestionably. Yeah, who's going to own General Motors? Yes, I mean, the question. union gets yeah. all this stock, the bondholders get all this stock. Right. It looks like they're going to go with a new stock. What, what's going to go we on went here? with the traditional exchange, I, I think the, the creditors, the, the unsecured bondholders will probably have a close to, I mean, we've heard up to 90%, but at mm -hmm. least 50% ownership in the company. Now, 
in, in a swap arrangement like that, a lot of them would just sell. Uh, that's, that's the, and the UAW may sell as well, uh, and the UAW may not get all their stock at once. So the, there may be a gradual ownership change. In a bankruptcy setting, um, you would think, and I know this has a bad connotation because of what happened with Cerberus, but you would think there might be a strong entity from private equity that, uh, private equity that would come in and, and try to navigate uh, a, a majority stake on the board and, and have a, a very strong hand in the way this company is managed. It didn't go well at Chrysler. Uh, Cerberus is now out as the equity holder there, and uh, and they'd have to probably find a, 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 a new tune in, in private equity. But but that's a likelihood as well as that we'd see a private equity firm, uh, you know, in the next 12, 24 months uh, owning this company. And the board gets broomed out, lock, stock, and barrel, or what's your read on that? I I think for the most part, this board is is it's time's up. Michael, what's this business going to look like? three years from now? What, what, what's your best crystal ball? I mean, General Motors was a company that two years ago sold 8 million vehicles mm -hmm. globally, globally, what, a little over 4 million in this country. Right. Chrysler, if you go back a little bit beyond that, was 3 million doing three, Wishing to do four. Wishing to do four. Yeah. Where do we end up, like, three years from now? Where three years from now, uh, you know, it's going to be a smaller industry. There, there is no doubt. Um, I, we don't necessarily think imports are going to go up, but it, we are still going to produce a lot of vehicles here. Um, we're not going to see the volumes that we saw back in 2004 and 2005, not for a number of years. We're probably looking 2014, 15 before that even comes to occur. Affordability is a problem. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're spending a lot of money right now. Taxation is going to be a problem. Disposable income is going to be an issue. Savings rate is probably going to go up, maybe not as much as some people think, but it's going to be more and more difficult to afford vehicles in, in, in the future. So, you know, the vehicle ownership rates are going to go down a little bit. But there are new drivers coming in. Scrappage rate is much higher than the replacement rate right now and we can't lose sight of that um, but what kind of industry are we looking at we're in a fuel economy agenda so we're really looking at what we call B cars and C cars but mostly the, the basically the sweet spot of the market is gonna be a vehicle about the size of a Volkswagen Jetta but you know Henry Ford the second always said Big cars, big profits. Small cars, small profits. And here these guys are not even profitable now, and you're going to push them into a smaller mix. To me, that says car prices are going to go up. They're definitely going to go up, and, and which, which also means that you know, the affordability factor is going to be a major issue as well. So um, you know, I'm not saying should we all get used to driving econo boxes, but I think uh, the, the American public is going to have to right size. Even at $2 gas, we're using the stick through cafe and not the carrot through higher fuel prices. Either way, we're going to be driving smaller vehicles in the future. Does Ford come out of this a bigger company than General Motors? I'm not so sure about bigger, but but you know you, you gotta you gotta give your hat off to them. They've they've actually done a, they're pretty smart from a marketing perspective. They're kind of the the good Detroit versus the bad Detroit, <laughs> and and they they've done a really nice job. They got some nice product coming out. There are still some issues there. I mean I, I don't think we can stand back and say they're completely out of the woods. And you also have to ask yourself if GM goes through this process. What happens in Dearborn as well? They have to ask themselves a lot of hard questions. We're going to have to have you guys back for another show on that discussion. But with this, we're going to have to wrap it up. John Stoll, Tom Walsh, Michael Robinett, thanks you guys for coming in. And I'll be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. Visit our website for even more great content all week long. AutoLine Daily, John's Journal, podcasts, and even more. So click over and get your all-access pass to the automotive industry at AutolineDetroit.tv. 
If you'd like to hear more of today's discussion, we have that posted on the extra section of our website at autolinedetroit.tv. Then, this Thursday night, I'll be doing a live webcast with public relations veteran Jason Vines and Mr. Auto Extremist himself, Peter DeLorenzo. Also joining us is well-known Wall Street analyst, Mary Ann Keller. It'll be a live discussion like you've never heard the auto industry discuss before. That's this Thursday night at 7 p.m. Join us at AutolineDetroit.tv. And that wraps up this show. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.